Hello and welcome to the Anchor Sunday Sermons podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with our Sunday sermons here in this podcast. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. But um, before I go into uh, talking about today's sermon, I need to give a shout out to our online audience and our podcast viewers. Um, we've hit a new high on all this, so which is great. So all of you guys listening out there on uh, on the internet and particularly those on podcasts. Now think about podcasts. Podcasts are those who cannot get video, and so they end up downloading the audio version. And so what we find from our analytics is that a lot of people like in Africa who don't have computers or television, they download our podcast to their phones. It shows it on there. So here's what we want to listen, put a shout out to all the podcast listeners, wherever you might be in Africa, Australia, Canada, Mexico, all over the place. Um, we are now ranked in the top 100 of religious podcasts on Apple's uh, uh, platform. That's all unbelievable. You would never guess that... Um, um, we would be in the top 100. And obviously, there's hundreds of thousands of ministries, right? But we're in the top 100 now. We've reached that point because all over the world, what we're seeing from the analytics is people are downloading it. I mean, it's everywhere. I think we're the last thing we found out, we were in 68 countries now on just podcasts, I'm not talking about, you know, the, the video platforms, but just on podcasts. So the Lord's using it. We're getting the word out. And so we want to thank you guys for listening online. And we want to thank you guys listening on the podcast. So God bless you. But anyway, that segues into what we're going to talk about today, the comp that compromise divides. And as we saw in the prophecy update, there's a lot of things that are happening in the world that are crazy. And it, it, it just you can't believe this would happen to us. And the idea is that if you and I compromise to this, compromise into what they're wanting us to do, then it will it will start dividing you from other people, okay? And, and so what we find with compromise, we're going to look in the text today, is that when Israel compromised with the golden calf incident, which is a very long uh, story, and that we've had to break it up in like four different parts, what you're going to see today is that lines will be drawn in the sand with those who compromise and those who will repent from the compromise. And right now, the same thing's occurring. Lines in the sand are being drawn right now in front of all of us. And, and it could be on any topic, whether it's the topic of Israel or it's the topic of LGBT or whatever, or you getting vaccinated or whatever, lines in the sand are being drawn and you and I are not the one drawing them. It's the world's drawing a line saying either you, you come with us and conform to our image or we're going to leave you in the dust. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your pay, your, your, your pay stub. You're going to lose your insurance, whatever it might be. That's the, that's, that's the line in the sand. And they're wanting us to compromise. But what you're going to learn from Israel is that when they did compromise, they lost so much, more than what they thought they were going to lose. And the first thing it did, it divided them. It divided them up. What does the Bible say? The truth divides. Truth will divide. And we're seeing it now. We see the church divided, at, which is okay because God has revealed to us what's going on in the church. The majority of the churches are compromising right now. 
They're not standing for righteousness sake. They're compromising just to get along, to keep getting their PPP money or to keep getting, you know, the, the accolades from this world that they're not a super spreader or whatever. We'll talk more about that. But this is what's happening. And it's unfortunate. You're going to see compromise in, in folks that you know who are Christian or, or are Christian, and they're going to compromise right in front of you. For what? Their salary, the job, uh, to not lose their reputation, whatever that might be. And so this is going to be critical to study. This is the last aspect of the golden calf incident. And you're going to see what it did to divide Israel. So let's look at this. So again, we're talking about the golden calf. That's the setting. And now let's pick up in the text where we're at. The text says this. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them, to their shame uh, among their enemies. Now, we talked about this, that Aaron forever, one of the things we saw with Aaron is he lost his reputation as far as being a leader. He's forever going to be looked at as a weak leader. That's something we don't want when we compromise. You'll be, you'll be looked at as weak from the spiritual realm. So Aaron gave in to this, and then what did it do? Another consequence is, and we talked about this, is that it, 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 they lost their testimony among the enemies. And that's the same thing. as When you and I compromise, we will lose our testimony with the world. They'll say, well, you're just like us. You're, you're going along with this. You're going along with that. How are you any different? Look, you're going to be hated no matter what. You got to accept that. But at least they can respect you for the stands you take. Okay. At least you can get that, but they can't respect you if you fold just like them. They can't respect you. They can't respect what you stand for. They can't respect the God that you represent. And so we lose our witness, and that's what happened to them. Their enemies, they were shamed to their enemies because of they, them caving into idolatry. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. So now there's the line of demarcation. There's a line in the sand, and Moses is saying, this is it. I'm going to give Israel a second chance to repent, and here's how it's going to look like. You better come over to my side, Yahweh's side, or there's going to be a problem here. So instantaneously, there's a division that starts happening in the camp of Israel. What you and I have to recognize and understand that our culture is dividing. Our, cult, our, our Christian culture is dividing right now. A line in the sand has been drawn. And the issue is, what side are you on? Because a lot of these people are not on the right side. And look what it says. And all the sons of Levi gather themselves together to him. Now, instantaneously, when Moses draws this line in the sand, the Levites go to his side instantaneously. This was a literal line, by the way. And I don't know all the reasons why the tribe of Levi did this. It could be because their affiliation with Moses and Aaron, because Moses and Aaron are from the tribe of Levi. But I think it's much more than that. You'll see in this episode that the remnant of Israel instantly goes to Moses. And that's what we'll see and should expect with the remnant. The remnant always knows what decisions to make because they follow Yahweh. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. And life for them becomes very simple when a issue gets projected to them. So here's the issue. Whatever, there's, they'll say there's 52 genders. You should know what side you line on. No, the instant remnant goes, no, there's only two genders. Genesis says that. That's instantaneously. Or they'll say, now churches are saying this, abortion is okay. Nope, the remnant goes, says, nope, it's wrong. And they instantly go here. 
So in the remnant's mind, they know instantly on every issue, typically, what side to be on. It's the Laodicean, it's the compromisers in Christianity that say, well, I don't know, I guess there could be 52. I guess a guy can have a baby. I guess two men can get married and two women get, I guess. No, those are black and white issues. And it instantaneously should be that quick of a decision. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. See, that's how the Levites are with Moses. And, and that's a good cue when you see people that are wishy-washy. They're, not, they're, they're, they're showing you that they're already a compromiser because they don't know which way to go on this. So eventually, what's going to happen, the principle before we move on, is you're going to be presented a truth, and it's right and wrong, okay? And it's going to demand that you make an action. It's going to demand that you make a decision. And that decision, you must understand, will cause a division in your personal life. That's the way it goes. So what is the division? Well, you might get fired. I don't know. If you don't play ball with the ESG scores that are coming our way, environmental, social, governance, you're out. You're out. Bye-bye. You lost your job. You, if you're not ESG compliant, we're not messing with you. See, those issues are going to be presented to you. Will, if you work, let's say you worked at AT&T, just like they proposed this last week, you have to proclaim your whiteness and it doesn't matter what skin color you are because even black people are called, being called white like uh, Larry Elder did. Remember? He was, they, they said that Larry Elder was the black face of white supremacy. Unbelievable. How racist of a comment is that? But see, this whole thing, you need to apologize. What, what they want to do is make you woke. And it doesn't matter what skin color. They want you to come on their side. Will you bow a knee and, to wokeness? And what it happens, if you don't, you'll get divided. You get divided from your employees. You get divided from your job. And then the hardest part is you'll be divided from your family. When you stand for the truth, you're going to have some family members that are going to rip into you for what stance you're taking. Okay? Now, how does that play out? Well, I've talked to many people that have had to practice 1 Corinthians chapter 5 on some of their family members. What do you mean? Their families and uh, sorry, one of their family members is blatant sin. Okay, shacking up or something like that, living together, whatever that might be, and they're all Christians. The person that's shacking up claims to be a Christian, and so the family will then disfellowship with them, saying, "Look, until you rectify and repent of this, uh, we're disfellowshipping you." According to First Corinthians five, you're not even supposed to eat with people in outward sin, and so they will separate. And say, we'll accept you back once you get your act together. Once you stop what you're doing. Guess what happens? The other family members who are Laodicean start pounding them. Well, I can't believe you, you, you claim to be a Christian. You would treat someone this bad. I can't believe you're not inviting so-and-so to Thanksgiving. I can't believe you're not inviting them to Christmas. They're in sin. Oh, Jesus would love them back out of their sin. Apparently, you don't know the biblical Jesus, apparently. Because the biblical Jesus, who inspired through the Holy Spirit, the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 5 says, expel the immoral brother. Do not eat a meal with them. And that's where the heat starts coming down on, on you from your family. And that's where people cave. You have to understand, this is a big deal. The issue of compromise will always come from your family, typically. 
typically, that are part of the culture, right? Look what Jesus said. Now, this is this is surprises people because the cotton candy Jesus that they have been learning about in their churches that tiptoe through the tulips have taught the wrong Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. Do not think I, I have come to bring peace on earth. What? I thought he was the prince of peace. Yes, but you have to understand what peace did Messiah bring. He brought peace between man and God through his sacrifice, right? But the peace that they're looking for, they wanted from Jesus in that day, and what our world thinks that Jesus gives now is peace among the nations. Well, he doesn't do give peace among the nations until we're in the millennial kingdom, and he's ruling from Jerusalem with a rod of iron. So that peace that people want now from Jesus can only happen in the kingdom when he purges evil out of the world. So this is what he's trying to correct with Israel, and this is the problem today. People think that you and I, because we're Christians, can just get along, drop our theology, and have a kumbaya with, with uh, uh, around a, a fire pit with other unbelievers, compromisers, or whatever. No, he's saying that kind of peace doesn't exist until the kingdom. For I have come, notice what he says, to set a man. This is his intention. Notice what he's saying. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's enemies will be of those of his own household. That's the biblical Jesus. Because why? Truth divides. That's it. So when you don't compromise, you say, bless God, I'm not giving into this. I, what my, my other family members are doing is wrong and I'm going to hold them accountable, and I'm going to disfellowship, whatever it is, you will be divided. You have to accept that division. You can't be, well, we just all got to get along, and we just got to come together for Thanksgiving and pretend the elephant in the room doesn't exist. No, 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 no. You, you refrain from going for Thanksgiving. We got people now that are being divided over the vaccine. Do you know what's happening? These millennials who think they know medical, have not done an ounce of research, raising kids, will tell their, their parents, you can't come over because, because you're unvaccinated. You'll get our kids sick. First of all, that's number one wrong on a medical level because kids are not even affected hardly by this at all. 99.9999% don't even recover. I mean, wh why, why do I need to vaccinate a kid and what are you afraid, the kids are afraid? The kids are not having any response to this, right? But, oh, the millennial mindset, oh, you're not coming over unless you're vaccinated. Stay your distance, Grandma. Stay back, Grandpa. So what is Grandpa and grandpa, uh, Grandma supposed to do? Well, I guess we've got to go get vaccinated because the kids won't let us see the grandkids. No! Forget that. Don't, don't live a lie. You know it's wrong, and their minds are gone. They're not thinking straight. Don't cave into that. Will it divide? Yes. Yes, it will. You might have to go a time without seeing the grandkids. That you, that's, that's part of the consequences of division, right? So we're in this culture war. The United States is already divided. Do you realize that? It's already gone. It's divided big time. We got the Babylonians versus the leftovers of, of Christianity and, and conservatism. It, it's divided. Why? On all these issues. And the issues created the lines in the sand for division. We didn't cause the division. They did. 
because they kept pushing, pushing, pushing the Babylonian principles of lawlessness on us through all these things. Parental rights, mandate, social justice, ESG scores, abortion, great reset, stakeholder capitalism, green economy, jabs, wokeism, LGBT, all the other junk. They're the ones bringing the fight to you. They're bringing it to you and say, here's our line, and are you going to be on our side or are you going to be on Jesus' side? That's what's happening. And unfortunately, I hate to tell you this, a lot of the churches caving into this stuff. They are. They are. So, so here's typical millennials. And this is the language they want you to use now when you introduce yourself, okay? The question is, will you comply with this or say, bless God, I ain't doing that? Hello, everyone. I'm Natalia Gadilla. I'm a Caucasian woman with long blonde hair, and I go by she, her. I'm a product marketing lead here at Microsoft and co-host of the podcast Security Unlocked with this guy. Yes, that would be me. Hello, everyone. I'm Nick Fillingham. I'm a Caucasian man with glasses and a beard. I go by he, him, and I'm a security evangelist here at Microsoft. We are so excited to be with Okay, so that's ridiculous, right? Who in the world was it? Hey, I'm, I'm Brandon. I'm a Heidens 57, and, uh, you know, I, I, I got Cherokee Indian in me, and I got this, and I got German in me, and so, uh, you know, count me as a Heinz 57. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm known as a cisgender or whatever it might be. Are you going to play that game? Bless God, you better not. I'm not playing that language game. And, and, and the, the Mr. T wannabe, he's out to lunch, man. I mean, what is he thinking? But this is the language they want you to comply with. And so I say, hey, look, this is how we introduce ourselves. This is polite society. Sorry, not playing the game. Don't compromise. Look at these other crazy things, right? I know this sounds crazy, but the climate activists now are claiming that young people are telling our young people in schools and universities that the climate change will lead to a, your mother's rape and war in every neighborhood. What? Are you out of your mind? But you know what? Who will believe this? Young kids in public schools and in the colleges and universities. And before you know it, that's the mindset. We've got to save the planet. She's dying. Gaia is dying. And bless God, there's going to be rape against my mother and war in the neighborhood. Are you going to buy that? Because the churches are now. You watch the next crisis, which is going to be this save the planet thing, is going to be pushed from the pulpits. We got to do everything, guys. All all Hades is going to break loose because of the polar bear and and everyone else, and we got to save them and save our planet. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what's coming. Now you want to get your your dandruff up. You want to get ticked off. Okay. I do this to show you what's out there. I, I'm going to show you this to show you how bad it is out there, what the culture thinks about you and I, okay? What it thinks about the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Watch this. This lady will drive you insane. So finally, some good news. Uh, kids can get the vaccine five and up starting next week. That's great news. And uh, as soon as these guys can get it too, all bets are off. You anti-vaxxers, all bets are off. All bets are off. Uh, yeah, if I, if I um, if I can spread it like annoyingly after that, um, I'm gonna sneeze on you. A lot of you. A lot of you. All bets are off because we're all done. We're all done with you. So as soon as these guys can be safe, for the rest of you, the rest of you, because we're done. We're done. 
Yeah. Yeah. No no more kind liberal here. Done. Sad thing is some of your kids will die, but I hope they don't. Maybe they'll just take your kids from you. That'd be good. Okay. That's evil. That's clear. But that sentiment represents what's going on in the culture. That's the she thinks she's doing a good thing. And what's happening is a two-tiered society is forming now, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And she's saying, we're taking aim on you. I'll, I'll spread the, the disease. Hopefully, it will kill you, right? And then hopefully, they take your kids away from you. You see the mentality? The line is drawn. If you go to your doctor and your doctor's pumping this nonsense to you and coming, coming down on you for being vac not being vaccinated, get out of there. Say, you know what, buddy? I'm out of here. I'll find another doctor. I'm not complying with your nonsense. You get out of there. Don't put up with that. It's time to take your stand. The line, they're drawing the line for you. And the problem is the churches are doing the same thing. Again, I'll show you this. This is Tim Keller's Redeemer Church in New York. Now we're segregating the unvaccinated from the vaccinated. Yeah, so what's happening is the vaccinated can come in the main service. They don't have to social distance. They don't have to wear a mask. But the unvaccinated or the unclean as lepers, you know, have to walk in and wear a mask and they have to be relegated to some part of the church that no one's there. And they're on the second story floor or whatever that might be. And you unclean lepers stay up there. You do your social distance and you better wear your mask or you're not coming to church. You see what's happening? The churches are doing this. And it's coming here. It's going to come here. This is how it starts. It starts with the big wigs in Christendom, and they start doing it, and then all the other followers, they put their finger in the wind, and which way the wind blows, they'll start doing it too. You'll start seeing it locally. Nuts, right? We're going to segregate. I think James had something to talk about that when segregating people of who gets the right seats and who doesn't. He was talking about the rich versus the poor, but in our case, it's not going to be rich and poor. It's going to be vaccinated versus unvaccinated. That's a violation of James. And some of the people that people looked up to in Christendom are falling. So Franklin Graham, he's already said this before. Now he doubles down again. Franklin urges evangelicals, get vaccinated before it's too late. Too late for what, Franklin? The rapture? What are you talking about, dude? No, before you die. Before you die. You better get vaccinated or you'll die. Wow, what kind of language is that? That's inflammatory language. That's hyperbole. Why would you give such language out and demand and even they got to get vaccinated? What's happened to him? Compromise. Compromise. That's what you're starting to see. I hate to tell you this, but your heroes of the faith, these Christian celebrities, are falling. They're falling. Now, here's a big thing about Kanye West. Everybody, he got saved, and this is how compromise starts happening. He got apparently saved. Apparently, I'm putting those in air quotes, okay? Apparently. And so everybody was all pumped up, and so they invited Kanye West to their churches. Hey, man, this is great. It's the best thing since sliced bread. Look at this guy. He gives his life to the Lord. So Joel Osteen has him. They pack it out, 70,000 people, and all these other churches are hosting Kanye West. And, oh, he's the real deal. He's the real deal. We all sat back and said, there's something wrong, wrong with this guy. There's something wrong with this guy. Well, guess what? We now have our proof. We now have our proof that he's fake. You want to hear it? It's inside of us. We collectively are God. We as a collection, God is in us. So collectively, we are God as we move like. There you go. Case closed. He's fake. 
Case closed. When you say people are God, uh, welcome to Hinduism. Welcome to the New Age. He's fake. He's a liar. But see, why did those churches compromise by having him in this church before he was tested? Because they thought about nickels and noses. Hey, this big shot celebrity, he can bring in the, the people in our church. So let's have him over for Easter. And they sold out and compromised by having a fake believer. And now he turns out to be completely revealed. Thank God he got revealed. I'm sick and tired of this nonsense. But what happened? It was compromised, right? That let him behind pulpits. That let him behind uh, the churches to preach. What are they thinking? Again, the line in the sand has been drawn. It's happening in the churches, guys. Let's turn to the text. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put, to, put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother. Notice the familial tone there. And every man his companion. And every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. So here's what's going to happen. So Moses draws this line in the sand. Okay? And he says, everybody that's going to repent of this compromise with the golden calf, come over here. And then the next task that I, I'm going to have the Levites do is they're going to go from tent to tent asking personally everybody in the camp, are you siding with Yahweh or are you siding with the, 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 the golden calf? Uh, the English doesn't really communicate this very well, but the Hebrew does. And that, so what happened is, think about this, the God, of God's grace. I'm going to give you a second chance, but I need to find out where your loyalties lie. So, so the Levites take a sword with them, and they find out what side these people are on personally, from tent to tent. This was not a corporate de declaration. They went individually to each one because every individual will account for what they did. And they asked them this, will you repent or not? If they said no, then the Levites would take out the sword and kill them. But notice what they did. They would kill their brothers. They would kill a companion or friend, and they would even kill their neighbor if they didn't repent. Now, you better thank God that we're not under the Mosaic law in a theocracy because this would be the penalty for idolatry. But notice that God gives a second chance to make a declaration. And so they end up killing those who would side with the golden calf. Now, the principle in this is obviously how serious the principle is. We don't have the death penalty under the church for idolatry. But you do have consequences. And I don't know what those consequences will be individually for anyone who compromises. But let, let's just make this statement. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. If he took it that serious where he told the Levites to go out and kill those who did idolatry, I don't really want to know if, if I compromise what the penalty will be. I don't even want to go there. Because I... Yahweh could do anything he wants to do as far as consequences are concerned. So anyway, that what happened? They found 3,000 men, about 3,000 men of the people fell that day, not counting the women. Okay, The women are included in this, but they typically counted the men, and the women were included. So 3,000 men get kill, killed, not counting women. So that's the amount that refused to repent. They went along with the calf. They wouldn't repent of it. And they just, that's it. So the Levites took the sword out and killed them. Killed their own family members. Killed their own neighbors. That's a big deal, man. To show the loyalty of, to, to Yahweh. Here's what we have to understand. The unrepentant who have compromised, they put themselves 
in a position of being an enemy of God, even if they're a believer, and will eventually pay the consequences for being on the wrong side. You're not going to get away from that principle. James makes that, makes that point. You love the world, you're an enemy of God. Even if you're a believer, yeah, even if you're a believer, there are plenty of believers who are enemies of God because they work for Satan. They work for the world system and don't even realize it because they've compromised. They went along with this and they don't even know that they're an enemy and because of that enemy, they're going to be given the consequences of that action. It's a very scary thing. Let me show you where this happened. In the middle right there, there's a Red Sea right there, and that's where they crossed. You can see the land bridge that, that crossed. And in the middle there, in the, right there in your picture, is Mount Sinai. But I want you to notice to the right of the picture, if you can see those words, it says graveyard. So what we find in this area is a massive graveyard of the 3,000, including the women. Again, this is more of an aerial. You see where the graveyard right in the middle of your picture is? Mount Sinai is right there. Altar of Moses is there. And then the golden calf is right there. And there's another picture of it. You see that, that, that kind of ravine that's in front of Mount Sinai? That's where they all camped. And then you can see the graveyard site to the right. Now, here's what I'm talking about, the graveyard site. What they have found, those guys who have snuck, snuck in to Saudi Arabia and have excavated the area, Obviously, they found Mount Sinai. They found the altar of Moses. They found the golden calf place. But they also found a massive graveyard in the same region. And this graveyard is amazing. It's huge. It would encompass three to 6,000 if you double the number for women. And here's a layout of it. Now, here's what I want you to do. You see all the stones on the ground. Okay. But what you'll see in the graveyard is stones that have been implanted vertically. That's not normal. That's not natural. They're, they're implanted like a headstone. <clears throat> Here's one headstone. You can see how it was set up like that? And then you have more headstones set up. Look, look at the other rocks in comparison to that. It should be laying down. But it's, these gravestones are all over the place. Uh, here's one guy that snuck in there, and he's, he's standing by a gravestone. You can see behind him, to the right of him, the gravestones that are standing vertical. All in this area. There's some more rocks that they use. There's some upright rocks. Now, here's the interesting thing. On some of the graves, where the headstones were, these rocks that, have, that were like milled out were on some of the graves. Now, what you're looking at is how... A woman in the ancient cultures would grind uh, their grain, like wheat or barley. You would grind that rock upon rock, and it would start creating a groove in the rock as you ground your wheat or your barley. And these things were placed all over graves, indicating that the female has been buried there. Because what were the women doing? They weren't grinding, uh, I don't know said it. They weren't grinding wheat or barley. What were they grinding? Manna. These were placed over female graves to indicate, you know, that this was a female, this was her work, and, and it indicates that they were grinding the manna, just exactly like Scripture says, when they created the grain out of it, and whatever they did, they boiled it, fried it, whatever they did. But these are on the female graves. All in this area where Mount Sinai is. I don't think that's an accident, right? It's referring to this event where the Levites went out and killed them. 
Now watch this video. This is a drone video of showing you the areas and kind of get a better perspective of it. Upright stones. So that's kind of eerie. But what does it do? It points to the evidence of what happened there. That that's how serious this was when you people compromised. That there was a grave, a, gra a massive grave of bodies after the Levites killed them. Wow. Let's continue on. Then Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for everyone, every man has opposed his son and his brother. So there's a blessing. You guys did the right thing. You came onto my side, and you even were able to execute those of, of your, your own family. That's why he references son and his brother. You were that loyal to me. So I'm going to give you a blessing for that. So when you side with Yahweh, and you side with Jesus, and you don't compromise, there will be a blessing attached to that. Whatever, how that blessing comes, I don't know. It could be, I'll find another job for you, God says, or I'll provide some other way economically. Because what we're getting ready to face is economic persecution. That's what we're going to face right now. They're not going to have to come after you physically. They're just going to say, you're out of here. You, you can't work here. You can't have insurance if you're not ESG compliant. You can't get a loan if you're not ESG compliant. Sorry, you got to upgrade your house to be ESG compliant. You're going to have to put all these green things on your house. You're going to say, well, I don't have the money. Well, I'm sorry. Then we can't insure you. We can't get you house insurance because you're not ESG compliant. You see how it works? It's an economic persecution that's coming to all of us. But you, if you stand against it, will be blessed. I don't know how that blessing might come, but God will take care of you. And that's what he did to them, right? They're doing the right thing. So the non-compromisers. Hopefully that's you and I. And even the repenting compromising will be rewarded for resisting the pressure to compromise from their family, friends, neighbors, and others. It is a big deal. And Jesus knows it. And so you will be rewarded even at the Bema seat for what you did. It's a big deal, man. Look what Jesus said about this, about discipleship. If anyone comes to me, that's a discipleship term, it's not talking about salvation, and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and children, brothers, sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, thank God it didn't say you cannot be uh, saved. It doesn't say that. What does it say? You can't be a disciple. So what he's indicating to us is this. You can be a saved believer, but not a disciple of his. And the big ticket item in order that there's a line that's on the, on, on the ground there is that you have to cross over and make him number one in your life and loyal to him only. And you must 
What does it mean to hate your father and mother? What does that mean? It's a Hebrew idiom that means that you must not put your family before me. I am number one in your life, not your kids, not your siblings, not your mom and dad. I'm number one. And I, I only have that place in your life. And if you make me number one, then you can be my disciple. But if you can't, if you're not going to make me number one, you can't be a disciple. You can be a believer, but you're not going to be a disciple. Okay, so there's, there's, Jesus put this out there. He says, this is how serious I'm making this. I, and look what he says the biggest opposition will be. Notice, he keeps referring to family. And all these passages I've shown you, in Exodus or in the Gospels, what does he keep referencing? Your family. Because the biggest people you will have to face is your family acting like a bunch of knuckleheads. And you will have to resist them and resist the pressure to conform to your family. And you will be ousted from your family. You will be divided. And so be it. If they're not on board with Jesus, then fine. I'm sorry, but I'm not going to go with them on that. And that's okay. That's a true disciple. A true disciple does that. Look what he said. Here's the promise. This is a good promise. Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, talking about the, the, the born again, uh, uh, sorry, the resurrection, I'm saying, when the Son of Man sits on his throne of his glory, the beam of seat, everyone, everyone, all believers who have what? Left houses, your property, right? Well, Brandon, I don't want to lose my job. If I, if I don't get vaccinated, man, I'll lose my house. What did he say? Houses. Or brothers, or sisters, or family, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands. For my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. There's the promise. Amen? Amen. Now think about this. You stand your ground and be willing to lose whatever you can in this life. It's not that we want to, but take your stand and understand the consequences. You're going to lose. You're going to lose your family over this. Like I said, your family is not going to invite you anymore if you're not compliant with 52 genders. Your family is not going to like you when you have uh, someone in your family that's uh, shacking up together, living the homosexual lifestyle. They're going to come down on you for taking your stand against that. But what did Jesus say? I'll reward you a hundredfold. I know how hard that is. I know it was hard to lose your job and to lose your house. I know how hard it was to lose your family. So I promise you, when we're in the kingdom, I will give you the reward of getting your life back 100-fold. You just don't get your life back. You get it a hundred times over. Well, what does that mean? Everything that the locusts have eaten, he will redeem. Everything that you lost will be given back to you in some form or fashion. You will be compensated for losing things in this life for his name's sake. And you'll get it all back. You'll get it all back. You have to believe that promise if you're going to stand. Besides making it to you. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So remember, blessing came. Now he's going to say something to them about the negative. You've committed a great sin. We can't overlook that, right? 
So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Right there, you should be picking up on something. Moses is a typology for the Messiah. He is saying words that capture what Messiah will do in the future. Look, you guys have sinned. I've got to go make atonement for you. That's, again, Messiah language. All have sinned, right? All have sinned. You guys all have sinned. Moses is saying, i got to make atonement. So the atonement is going to be made with Moses trying to create some type of atonement. But ultimately, it prefigures that Messiah would make the atonement. Look what he does. Watch, this is interesting. Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin. It's true. That's why Scripture says all have sinned, right? And have made for themselves a a God of gold. He tells them what particular sin they did. Thieves, liars, murder, covetousness, all these things are outlined in Scripture, right? Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, so he's begging the Lord, forgive them. He's being what? An intermediator between God and man. Who is the one intermediator between God and man? Jesus, right? It's pointing to Jesus, right? Amen. But if not, notice it, look at the phrasing. I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Now, this is interesting. You've got to understand the language. He, again, he's acting as a mediator. Now, let me explain the book's Uh, about this book before I answer this question, okay, about what is he talking about here. So let me skip through real quick. First of all, the Scripture talks about the Lamb's book of life, or in Psalm 69, it's equated to the book of righteousness. Now, what this is, these are real books in heaven, okay? And they can, the, the Lamb's book of life contains the names of all of those who have been born again. So once you get saved, you're put into the Lamb's book of life, okay? Then there's other books. They're just called the books. The other books contain the accounts of the deeds that people do and their responses to God's offer of salvation. And this determines the degree of punishment for unbelievers. So when unbelievers stand before the great white throne judgment, before they're cast into the lake of fire, God is going to read all the account of their book. Now, here's the thing. It's not that God needs the book. It's not that. He is omniscient. He knows it all. It's the books serve as a testimony against the person. They have everything written down, whether the watchers, the angels watched them and recorded it, but it's all recorded in heaven. And what's going to be determined by that? How severe their punishment or torment will be in the lake of fire is based on their deeds. So if you're a garden variety pagan and you were a moral your, your punishment in the lake of fire is less than Hitler's, okay? So it's all weighed out based on the works. But again, they're all going to the lake of fire, but some will be tormented worse than others. The other book I want to show you, which is in the context, is the book of life that Moses is referring to. Now, this contains all the names of every person that was ever born. Those who are saved will get their names retained in the book, And those who don't are blotted out of the book of life. So when you were born, your name was put in the book of life. Okay? So let me show you how it goes. Your name's put in the book of life, and you're living your life, and then you get saved. When you get saved, you then have your name inscribed in the Lamb's book of life, or the the book of righteousness, 
and your name in the book of life is retained. Even if you die, your name, stay, your name stays in the book of life because you've been saved. So when you and I are allowed into heaven, those books say that you and I can gain entrance because we're in the Lamb's book and we're still in the book of life. If you're born, you're going to be put in the book of life. And if you reject the Messiah, then once you die, your name is blotted out. And when they can't find your name in the book of life, then that means you're sentenced to the lake of fire. Obviously, it has to do with accepting the Messiah, right? So this is what the books are about. So let's go back to Moses real quick. <clears throat> what Moses is saying, I want you to capture this. He is saying, look, I'm asking you to forgive them, but if it takes me dying for them and experiencing hell by being blotted out of your book and having lose, to lose my eternal salvation, I am willing to do that for them. You see that? Moses is saying, I'm willing to die and go to hell for them. So he's the ultimate intercessor, and it points to the Messiah. Now, how did, how did Messiah come? Father, I will die for them, which is the price to make the atonement. That's why Moses mentions atonement. And I will suffer separation from you on the cross and experience hell on the cross for them to be forgiven. That's the same thing. So here's what we want to see. What Moses is saying is exactly what Jesus does. And here's the point. You want to see the pinpoint accuracy of the Bible? What Moses just said happened on the cross from 12 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Explain that. Well, from 9 o'clock to 12, Messiah suffers the wrath of man as they mock him, right? The thieves mock him, or at least one of them does. Then at 12 to 3 in the afternoon, the wrath of God is poured out on him. At that point, Messiah is experiencing our hellish condition when, if we were to be, to be thrown into the lake of fire. That's why at the end of it, he says, I thirst. So what the scriptures say, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out aloud a voice. This is at 12 noon when everything goes dark. The judgment now is falling upon the Messiah. And what's the first response by Jesus? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, the Father has separated himself from the, the, the humanity of the Messiah. And he feels what you and I would have felt in hell, the separation from God forever. He's feeling that. He's experiencing that. And the judgment is being poured on him in our stead. So when Moses said, I'm willing to go to hell for them, Messiah experienced our hell for us on the cross for three hours. As he made atonement for our sin. And then at the end of it, he says, I thirst. And he says, Tetelestai, it has been fulfilled. It is accomplished. And that's when you know the atonement was made. So that's what Moses is, is, is showing Israel through all of this. Now, then God responds to this. And this is an interesting response. God responds to Moses' intercession by this. The Lord said to Moses, 
whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Whoa. Now, what's that? This is an overt statement that needs to be made, even in regards to God forgiving Israel. It needs to be stated. He wants Israel to know this. Those who sin against me will die. Those who sin against me do not give ever, I do not give everlasting life to. So I'm just going to make a blanket statement for all of Israel to understand this. So what is the parallel in the New Testament? The parallel in the New Testament is when Paul in Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's the first statement. And the wages of sin is death. That's a statement. It's equivalent to that statement in Romans to this statement. Heaven is not an automatic because every human sins against Yahweh, then you're going to hell. That's automatic. The automatic for everybody is you're going to hell. Unless, unless what? You accept the Messiah. You accept Yahweh's provision on how he provides atonement for you. And the atonement he's provided is not through your good works. It is through the person and work of the Messiah. Amen? Okay. That's what Yahweh's trying to state to Israel. So what's going to happen is they're going to have to make a provision. Now, in the Old Testament, what they did, they did blood sacrifice, right? Because the life is in the blood. They did it through animals. And the animals' blood would cover their sin. But when you ultimately get to the Messiah, what does Messiah's blood do? It takes away your sin. It removes your sin. That's different. That's where you have ultimate cleansing coming from. So God is trying to teach Israel, this is the way back to me. If you sin, you're, gonna, you're not going to get eternal life. But except you accept my provision. You have to come my way. And so that's the principle. So the person must be forgiven of their sins via faith in Yahweh's provision of a substitutionary atonement. That's what it's heading to. That's what he wanted Israel to learn through all of this. What about the compromise here? The compromise is this. Compromise reveals the true nature of people. What did it reveal about the 3,000? It revealed them, didn't it? That they're fake. They didn't believe in Yahweh. They wanted to worship a golden calf. That's what it revealed. What did it reveal about Kanye West? Right? What does it reveal about uh, these churches segregating people out? What is it revealing to you? What is it? What is it revealing to you when a pastor gets up there and says, you all need to be vaccinated because that's what Jesus would want you to do? What does that reveal? You see what I'm ha it's happening? The, it, the compromise they're making is revealing that the separation is happening right now in front of us. You have to see this. Well, Jesus referred to this as the parable of the wheat and tares. Remember that? What does the parable say? An, a, an enemy scatters seed into the Lord's field. It's obviously the devil. And, and the angels come to the Lord. You want us to separate those out, those, those wheat from the tares or the darnel? No. Let them grow up together. For in pulling the darnel out or pulling the tares out, you will damage the wheat. So let them grow up together. At harvest time, we will separate them out. You know what happens in harvest time with wheat versus the darnel? It's funny. When they grow up together, they're both green. They grow, you can't distinguish between the darnel and the wheat. 
But then at harvest time, guess what happens? Wheat turns its golden color, and the darnels turn black. It's interesting about wheat. The, the grain of the wheat, it's golden, but when it has all of its wheat in it, in that little stalk, it bows down. The darnel stands straight up. One bows, the other does this. You see the picture of the wheat and tares? <laughs> when you see the connect, even the, even the parables that the Lord uses, it's all there. It's all this stuff embedded in these parables. I'm like, oh, my goodness. But what, what about the harvest? Here's what I want to bring you to, the harvest. At harvest time, we will separate them out. Guess what harvest time represents? The last days. Are we in the last days? Yes, we are. So guess what's happening? You are now seeing the separation because of compromise between the wheat and the tares. It's hard to watch, isn't it, sometimes? Because we have friends that would claim to be Christian, and all of a sudden they're like opposing you. They've turned on you like a sheep-killing dog. What's happening? Oh, harvest time. The Darnells are showing, and the weed is bowing. You see the difference? It's happening right now. So here's the blessing that they get for doing the right thing, okay? They repented, came back. Here's the blessing. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. What, who is the angel? What's well, simple? It's the, it's the pre-incarnate Christ, the, the, the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus that will lead him. So part of the blessing is I will lead you, I will guide you, and my son's going to do it for you. Same thing, if you don't compromise, if you, you stand in the gap, Jesus is promising, I will lead you through these, these troubled waters. I will navigate you through. I will show you how I provide. Just trust me. We'll make it. That's the blessing of not compromising. But look at the negative. Nevertheless, uh-oh. In the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Uh-oh. There's a bittersweet aspect to this. They were forgiven. They were given blessing. But Israel, I'm going to plague you so that you never forget what you did. Now, the plague would come upon Israel, and it did. It didn't kill them, but it made them very sick. I don't know how sick it made them. Uh, I don't know how long the sickness and the plague went. We don't know. We're left to guess. But here's the point. That plague was set there to remind Israel of the consequences of when you, when you sin against me, the consequences will follow you inexorably like night follows day. I will forgive you, but there are always going to be consequences if, if you make a compromise. And he doesn't want them to ever forget that. Think about the stuff what we have done. We've done stupid things in our life, right? We've made bad decisions. We did sinful decisions. And I guarantee you, a lot of us are paying it for it right now, right? We're still paying for it. Well, something happened 20, 30 years ago for the decisions we made. Why doesn't God take the consequences away? Why? And this is what the church doesn't teach. The church says, you're forgiven and there's no consequences. That's wrong. You are forgiven, but you're going to be plagued with the consequences all your life because... Um, God says, I will not be mocked. What you sow, 
you shall reap. You never get away with that. Why, though? Why, even though I'm forgiven, do I still have the consequences playing out in my life? Number one is a penalty. But number two, that you never, ever forget it. He burned that into Israel's mind. Don't you ever, ever make another idol like you did before. And you will remember the plague that I sent you for doing that. And the same thing goes for us. Stupid decisions we made. The unwind, yes, or we're forgiven of that. Of course we are. But God leaves the consequences and says, you know what? This is the bed you made, and you're going to lie in it. You're going to lie in it so you learn your lesson. Don't do that again. God is a good father, isn't he? And a good father disciplines his children. He doesn't just, oh, we'll forgive and forget, and let's just keep moving, and no consequences. No, no, no. A good father disciplines and then gives consequences. Yes, the child can be forgiven, but the consequences play out. You're grounded or whatever that might be. That's a good father. And that's what happens to us. That's what happened to Israel. I forgive you, but you're going to be plagued. Remember King David? Was David forgiven for sinning with Bathsheba and sending Uriah to the front lines to have Uriah, her husband, killed? Was he forgiven? Yes. Was his consequences taken away, though? No. What are the big three consequences that, ha that hit David? Number one, the child from him and Bathsheba died. Number two, he was never able to build the temple. He had blood on his hands for what, Uriah, what he did to Uriah. So Solomon would build the temple, not David. Even though David wanted to, he was not allowed. He was a man of blood because of Uriah. Three, the sword never left David's family, as Nathan predicted. Now, what did that mean? David's family went haywire because of what he did, and he couldn't control it. He's the ultimate passive father. David's a, a great, ma mighty warrior, but he's a passive father. You know what happened? The sword never left his family. So what ends up happening? Amnon rapes his own sister, commits incest. David doesn't do anything about it. So his boys are going crazy. And then Absalom says, I'm going to take revenge. And he kills Amnon and then rebels against his own father. And it's just one drama after another in his own personal family. Why? The sword would never leave your family, David, for what you did. What you did caused this. And David had to live with this infighting in his family until the day he died. To remind David, don't ever forget what you did with Bathsheba and having Uriah killed. I have forgiven you, but the consequences are coming out. What is the point here, Brandon? The point is, don't go there. Stay loyal to the Messiah during this period of time. Don't cave in. Because if you compromise, then you don't know what consequences will come from that. Go ahead and lose your job. Lose whatever they're threatening with. That's okay, because Messiah says, I will go before you. I will lead you. I will take care of you. And if you, you stay loyal to him, you make him first, you will never buckle under this pressure. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Sunday Sermons. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps grow you towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. 
Rock Harbor Church has recently started a second podcast called The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear it, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services for The Anchor Bible Study. Support for both of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.